All right, well, good morning. <clears throat> I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 1 this morning, and uh, we're going to take a, a journey this summer. Summer is an exciting time for many of us, or uh, apparently for a lot of us who aren't here today. It's a time when we travel and go to special places, maybe take a vacation, go on sightseeing trips, adventures, church camps, things like that. I'm curious, uh, where are y'all going this summer? Who's, who's already been somewhere on a little summer vacation? Where'd you go, Al? Went to New Jersey. Where, where are some other places some of y'all are going this summer? Shout them out. Alaska. All right. Any other? All right. Where? Bali. All right. <laughs> some of those sound really expensive. Some not not so much. That's that's kind of where we're at. Maybe a a little staycation, stay close to home. Because here's the deal. Travel's going to cost you. Travel's going to cost you. And uh, so this summer, we're going to travel on, on Sunday mornings, take a little summer journey with Jesus and Mark's gospel. It won't cost you anything, but I'll tell you this. This is a trip you can't afford to miss. You can't miss out on what Jesus is offering and the things that we're going to see in Mark's gospel. We're going to be studying the ministry of Jesus Christ the things he did, the things he taught, the places that he went. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to be able to preach through the entire Gospel of Mark this summer, but I do want to invite you to take a journey through the Gospel of Mark. And here's my challenge to you, to read through the entire Gospel of Mark this summer. It's only 16 chapters. That's not that much. I read about four chapters in the Bible a day, most days. So I know it's doable, all right? But just... Maybe join me in reading through the Gospel of Mark. If we take, oh, three months or so to, to preach through it, why, you could just, uh, just a couple of chapters a week and you would have it whipped. And here's my goal. I want us to get our eyes on Jesus. I think that's something that we need to do. The author and perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ. So let's jump right in. Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Here in Mark's gospel as we see Jesus the Messiah. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Just as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I am sending my messenger before you who will prepare your way. The voice of one calling out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Mark's gospel of Jesus the Messiah. You know, ancient manuscripts show that this gospel that we're reading, and I've invited you to read through with me, were penned by our guide on this journey by a man named Mark. Probably John Mark, who we see in several places in the New Testament. You know, many people believe, most Bible scholars believe that John Mark, or Mark, is the guy who penned this gospel, but it was done under the authority of the Apostle Peter. So maybe this is Peter's gospel written down, transcribed, maybe, inter, uh, maybe translated by even this man, John Mark. Acts 12.12 12 shows a connection between the Apostle Peter and John Mark. 
Peter is busted out of prison by angels, no less. And he goes to a place where they're having a prayer meeting, a church meeting. It is the mother of John Mark. Some people believe that the Last Supper took place in the home of John Mark's mother, the same place that we see in Acts 12, 12. In the book of Peter, 1 Peter, 2 Peter, we see some connections maybe with this gospel. First of all, in 1 Peter 5, 13, he refers to John Mark or Mark as a son, a spiritual son. So we know there's a connection there. And then in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 15, Peter writes, he indicates that he is taking great pains or making efforts so that the Christians, when he is departed, will be reminded of the truths of Jesus Christ after he is gone. I believe that is what we're studying here, the gospel of Mark. The truths that Peter made sure before he died that they would be written down, that the Christians throughout the ages could go back and hear the words of the Lord, to see the complexion of the ministry of Jesus Christ, and also for unbelievers, people who don't yet know Jesus, that they might hear and know and see this Jesus, the Messiah. Most people believe that it's the first gospel that was penned. Sometime maybe between 58 and 70 AD, the first gospel of the four that we have written down. At that time, in the, in the 60s, mid-60s AD, there was a cruel madman who was the emperor of Rome, and his name was Nero. You know, Rome, there was a fire. Some people believe that Nero started that fire, and he had to take the... Um, uh, blame off of himself, and so he blamed the Christians. We know that a great and widespread persecution took place in around 65 AD. And at that time, Christians would meet together as they did, as Jesus uh, commanded them to do. They would meet together on the first day of the week, but they didn't do so openly when this persecution of Nero broke out. And in fact, one of the places that our early Christians were meeting during persecution was the catacombs, that is, tombs. I want you to think about that just for a minute. Christians gathering to have their worship services in caves where dead people's dead people had been laid and their bones are there. You know, the threat is that if they're found out, they're going to be killed. It's said that Nero would, would dip the Christians or pour tar and pitch on them and light them and use them for lanterns or lamps in his garden. They were fed to wild animals in the Colosseums because they were followers of Jesus Christ. Under that kind of burden and threat, people need, Christians need, a word from the Lord. You would ask yourself, I would ask myself, why are we doing this again? I need to be reminded of this Jesus who is the author and perfecter of our faith. I need to know that I'm risking my life for something that is real. And we have this book. We have the Gospels given to us. We live in a day where society, our American society, but I think the world at large, is quickly turning against what Christians believe and stand for. Christian views of all sorts. And it could very well be, and maybe it already is for some, in this country, and we know it is in other countries, that Christians, because of their faith in Jesus, because of what they believe, what we believe, we will face ridicule, persecution, maybe loss of jobs, and things like that. And you know what we need? 
We need to get our eyes back on Jesus, just like they needed. And the Gospel of Mark is written. It's not a chronological account. One of the reasons that I love it so much is it's fast-moving. It's action-packed. It's place-oriented, and it's perfect for a summer journey with Jesus because we see him going to all of these different places and doing different things, ministering to people. And so verse 1 says, the subject of the gospel that Mark writes is Jesus the Christ, or Jesus the Messiah, which means the anointed one, the king that God has sent, a descendant of David who would be the one who would sit up the eternal throne of David. The eternal throne of God, the eternal kingdom would come through this Messiah. Old Testament rabbis, Jewish priests, things like that, they say there's about 450 references in the Old Testament to this idea of a Messiah, of a king that would come. And Mark wastes no time busting out in his gospel and letting us know who this Messiah, this anointed one is. It is Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. And he begins the gospel saying, this Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, he comes exactly like, and, and he just pulls out one Old Testament prophecy, exactly like Isaiah said he would come on the heels of one who is crying out in the wilderness, preparing the way for the Lord. And this is where our journey begins in the wilderness with Jesus, with John the Baptist near the Jordan River. Actually, there are two Wilderness encounters that we find here in the early verses of Mark chapter 1 where Jesus begins his ministry. Two different wilderness areas, two different wilderness encounters. You know, in the Bible, the wilderness often represents a place where people will have a spiritual encounter, an encounter with God. Let's read verses 4 through 11 as we see the spiritual encounter that Jesus has with the baptizer and with the Holy Spirit. Verses 4 through 11 John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea was going out to him and all the people of Jerusalem. And they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River confessing their sins. And John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist. And his diet was locusts and wild honey. And he was preaching, saying, After me one is coming who is mightier than I, and I'm not a, I am not fit to bend down and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opening and the Spirit, like a dove, descending upon him. And a voice came from the heavens, You are my beloved Son, in you I am well please. This first wilderness encounter in our journey with Jesus takes place with the baptizer near the Jordan River. Now the Jordan River is a massive river that runs north and south there in Israel. It goes over a hundred miles. The Jordan River is a place where many important things in the life of Israel have happened. You could go back in the Old Testament, for instance, and think about Lot and Abraham. When they split up, they've got so many livestock. They've got to part ways because their, their, their herdsmen are fighting and things like that. And Abraham says to Lot, Lot, you choose where you want to go. And Lot looks down over the fertile Jordan River Valley bottoms. And he says, that 
looks like good pasture. And there, not far, is the city Sodom and Gomorrah, which God would ultimately destroy because of the wickedness. Lot chose the fertile valleys there in and around the Jordan. You can think about the time of the Exodus when God draws out the people. He rescues the people from the slavery of Egypt. And they're going to go into the promised land. And the Jordan River becomes, in some ways, kind of a portal. It becomes a place where their faith is tested. You know, they send out the spies into the promised land. And they come back and they said, man, across the Jordan, there are these giants. I don't think we can whip them. And they end up in the wilderness on the far side of the Jordan, wandering around for 40 years. Finally, God invites them back. He says, it is time. And there at the Jordan, we know that Moses is not allowed to pass on through. But when they will step out in faith with the new leader whose name is Joshua, Yeshua, the same name as Jesus, they will be led into the promised land, but it's going to require faith. And so this Jordan River is a place where their faith has been tested, where they will finally step in to the future that God has for them. The Jordan River is the place where Naaman, the Syrian leper comes and he wants to be healed and the prophet says okay the way you're going to be healed you're going to go and you're going to dip yourself seven times in the Jordan River and he says that nasty thing there's cleaner rivers in my hometown he says that's where you're to go and in the Jordan River Naaman the leper is baptized if you will seven times and he comes out clean and whole in that same Jordan River now in the days of Jesus there's a man named John the baptizer and he's a strange cat He's wearing camel hair clothes and leather belt. His garb is like that of the prophet Elijah in the Old Testament. And John is calling people. He's not preaching a feel-good message. He's preaching people, you need to repent for the forgiveness of your sins. And people are flocking out to that message to see and to hear from John the baptizer and see what he's doing there in the Jordan River. And it says that people's hearts are wrenched and they confess their sins. At the beginning of the journey of Jesus, we find out that people's hearts are messed up. People are wayward and need forgiveness of sins. And we have to come face to face with the fact that we have fallen short of the glory of God. And so there is John, and he's water baptizing all of these people. But he says, by the way, lest you get too hung up on who I am and my popularity and what I'm doing, there's one that's going to come that's going to baptize you, not with water, but with the Holy Spirit. I'm not even fit to reach down and tie or untie his sandals. This Jesus will baptize you. There will be an experience with this one that's coming that is far surpassing anything that I can do. John could baptize with water. Hey, I can baptize you with water, by the way. Right up here. We've got the Buffalo River. We've got Hog Creek. I can baptize you with water. Many people can baptize you with water. But only one has the power to give you an experience that totally immerses you in the very presence and power and person of Almighty God and the Holy Spirit. And that is the Messiah. There is this experience that we need that John could not give. He was a precursor. He paved the way. He helped people get ready. And then he said, and he's coming. And onto that scene, all of a sudden, Jesus comes. And he does something surprising. He submits to being baptized. And I don't want to get into all of why. Mark doesn't really tell us. There's some other indications maybe in the other Gospels. Here's what I think is going on right here. The Jordan River had been a place 
where a successor had come to an Old Testament prophet, Elijah and Elisha. There at the Jordan River, this great prophet Elijah passes his mantle to his protege, Elisha, who actually gets a double portion of the Holy Spirit. And there by the Jordan River, Jesus comes and he's baptized and he is shown that he is the one that has the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is baptized and he comes up out of the water and it says the Holy Spirit descends on him, anoints him. He has the anointing that even John didn't have. And the heavens open up and then there is a voice that says, you are my beloved son and you, and you I am well pleased. The Father and the Spirit validate that Jesus is the Messiah. The Messiah who would baptize with the Spirit. And so, if you will, the, man, the mantle is passed from John to Jesus. John had made an uproar. I mean, he was famous. And all of a sudden, he's going to disappear off of the scene. And Jesus is the one that we're to put our focus on. The one who has the Spirit and the Father's validation. Let's move on. We're going to read verses 12 and 13, the second wilderness experience that we find. And immediately the Spirit, who has now descended on Jesus, he brought him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with wild animals and angels were serving him. I thought we were already in the wilderness. We were. We were in the wilderness away from the main towns, the wilderness of the Jordan River. But now... Jesus is impelled by the leading of the Holy Spirit to go out into the deeper wilderness. This is a different wilderness. It's not one with maybe you would say a positive encounter with God. Instead, what we find in that wilderness, though Jesus is ministered to by the angels and by the Holy Spirit, we see him being tempted by Satan for 40 days in that wilderness. It's a place of desolation but not emptiness. In fact, Mark records that in that wilderness there are wild animals. And we're meant to feel this, that Jesus goes into this place where there is grave danger and darkness. The wild animals are nothing compared to the lion that is roaring, seeking to devour Satan himself. And he is tested. He is tempted there by Satan. Let me stop right here and say this. You know, we live in a day and age where we only believe in what we can see. We're materialists, you know, only what science can prove and so on and so forth. And what we're going to find all through the Gospel of Mark is that there are spiritual powers and principalities and dominions. There are spiritual forces that we cannot see, though we can see the impacts. The Holy Spirit descending on Jesus. And now here is one who is named Satan who comes and tempts Jesus. And we're meant to understand this is real. This is not a figment of the, his imagination. This is a grave thing that we must face. There are evil spiritual realities. I think that what we think is people are generally good. No, they're not. The Christian view is that people were created in the image of God, but we are broken and we have fallen to the temptations and the power of the evil one. In fact, 1 John 5 makes this claim. Listen to this. I think we forget about this. The whole world lies in the power or sway of the evil one. With the exception of those who belong to God. Those who have been rescued, I believe, by Jesus. Think about that for just a minute. That this whole world 
lies sway and under the power of the evil one, except for those who have been rescued by God. You know, we've been shocked, and I think it's increasingly more so as we watch the news. We've seen the great power and presence of evil in these mass shootings and things like that. I think what we're seeing, folks, is, is what has always been, though I think it's on the rise. Evil is there. We shouldn't be duped into thinking that everybody's at the starting gate, everybody's at neutral. The Bible says that the whole world is under the sway of the evil one, and we cannot rescue ourselves. We don't have the power. You, in your own strength, do not have the power to overcome the power of Satan and darkness. The rescuer does. Jesus, the Messiah, is the one who overcame the temptations there in the wilderness. And it's something that we're going to see throughout the Gospel of Mark. So I want you to understand this, that the evil one is real. Evil powers are real. And they hold great sway. And they seek to grab hold of a life and a person. But praise the Lord, we have victory through Jesus, our Savior. There in the wilderness, Jesus shows his power over evil. Hey, let me say something to you. You need him. You need the rescue from the power of the evil one that comes with Jesus alone. That's going to move us on to the next thing. So after 40 days of temptation, Jesus overcomes. And then he moves on. John is arrested. Now let's read verses 14 through 18 in our final location that we're going to journey with Jesus into today. Now after John was taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. And believe in the gospel. As he was going along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will have you become fishers of people, or fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets, and they followed him. Jesus invites some Galileans to participate in what he's doing, to participate in the kingdom of God. You know, Jesus' ministry moves forward now into this place called Galilee. It's the northernmost region in Israel. Nazareth, where he grew up, is in Galilee. Jesus goes, he's kind of like the rest of us. He likes a scenic view, and so he seems to make his headquarters and home now near the Sea of Galilee, near the lake. Galilee would have been a quiet place. It's a place in the Old Testament that everyone just kind of forgets about. <laughs> Whatever came out of Galilee. Nothing really good in Nazareth. It's a quiet place. It's a country place. Blue-collar workers, things like that. Oh, sure, there were some tourists that would come around the Sea of Galilee. But it was a nothing kind of place. No one expected anything to really happen in that place. And in that place called Galilee, Jesus shows up. And listen, here's what we have. We have a boiled-down essence of Jesus' message. And I want you to hear this. Jesus said a lot of words. He preached a lot of sermons. He said a lot of things. But if you want to boil down the essence, and I think that's why Peter, or by, why Mark gives us this here. He wants us to hear what is the essence of the message of Jesus. Here it is. Are you ready? Repent and believe for the kingdom of God is near. It is at hand. Jesus invites people to first of all repent. You need a change of mind. 
a change of life direction. You're going away from God and you need to turn to God. John the Baptist had helped with that. He got people thinking about God, thinking about their sins and turning their face to God. And he says, repent now, if you haven't already, at the preaching of John and believe. Trust in me, the Messiah, the Savior that has come. Repent and believe it's as simple as that and enter into the kingdom of God, which is the eternal kingdom. Gain eternal life. Gain your freedom from the evil one. Repent and believe. Drop your competing allegiances and turn to me. Come to me. Repent and believe. Become a citizen of the kingdom of heaven rather than a slave of the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of this world. There he is. Repent and believe. And I wonder, have you done that? What about you? You know, Jesus just goes to ordinary people. These are not religious scholars. These are not the priestly class. Some of them would have been Gentiles that really knew nothing about the Messiah. And he comes and he says, repent and believe. Enter into the kingdom of heaven. Are you a citizen of the kingdom of heaven? This is the essence of Jesus' message. Salvation is available to you. If you will, repent. Turn. Turn away from your waywardness and going away from God and turn to him. Trust in Jesus by faith. Repent and believe. And there was another personal invitation that he issues. He's going along there preaching that message through Galilee and he goes by the seashore. There around the Sea of Galilee, it was about an 8-mile by 14-mile sea. Beautiful water. Snow-capped mountains of Hermon and, and uh, nearby mountains would flow into that. The Jordan would flow into it. People fished there. And he encounters a couple of fishermen. Actually four. We'll just focus on two today. Andrew and his brother Peter. What are they doing? Out casting their nets. They're plying their trade. They're doing their work. They're trying to make a living. And Jesus comes to them. And he invites them into the greatest work. The greatest work. The highest thing that someone could give their life to. He says, follow me. And you will become. I will make you. I will train you. I will apprentice you. Hey, listen. To become fishers of men. And it says they dropped their nets. And they followed him. They entered into the work of inviting people to eternal life. There was a training period that they needed, but they dropped their nets. You know, I don't think that Jesus calls everyone to give up their normal job to become evangelists. But I know this. I know the greatest thing that we could ever do, number one, is to trust Jesus and enter into the kingdom of heaven. And number two, after we've done that, to join him. And inviting others, casting the net, helping people to see and to know and to believe in Jesus. Folks, it doesn't take a seminary degree to do that. In fact, that might be a hindrance, I'm not sure. You know what it takes? It takes a willing person who loves Jesus, who believes that he has the words of life, and who's willing to follow along and to do what he's called them to do. That's all that it takes. What about you? If you've repented and believed and trusted in Jesus Christ, are you about the work? And I think that all of us need to ask this question. Are we doing this? Are we following Jesus 
to help others to know Jesus too. Are we casting a net? Are we casting a net? I want us in this season to be thinking about that. Ordinary people can do this work. And I'll tell you, here's where I think it begins. Think about one person. One person that you know. One person that's in your circle of acquaintance. Friend, family member, co-worker, whatever. And you believe, you don't know their heart, but you're pretty sure they're not a Christian. You don't believe they know Christ. One person that you would commit to pray for, to pray for their salvation. Start there. That's where it needs to start. So I want you to be thinking about that right now. Who is one person that you would begin to pray for, for their salvation, in hopes of maybe having the opportunity to be a fisher of men, to help people come to Christ? That's the invitation to you today, twofold. If you've never trusted Christ, repent and believe and be saved, enter the eternal kingdom. Number two, if you're in the kingdom, will you become an apprentice of Jesus to follow along, to cast a net, to draw people in to the kingdom that you have entered into? We said that we were going to have intercessory prayer here at the end of the service, so now is the time that we're going to do that. I'm going to invite the worship team to go ahead and be making their way up there up here, and, um, and Daryl's going to come here in a moment and pray. One of the things that I, you know, I think uh, we see is sometimes we rush through prayer. We rush through prayer, and we don't want to rush through it today. The response time today is going to begin with intercessory prayer, just like we always do. We're going to call out names to the Lord, and Daryl's going to lead us in prayer. After that prayer, the worship team is going to begin to lead us in an invitation song. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to open up the altar. We're going to ask people to move, to respond. Not everybody has to, but those who feel compelled to, to move. Here's what Jesus said. Hey, you follow me. And they dropped their nets. They did something. Too often in church, we don't ask people to get up and act. Obey. Do what the Lord is calling us to do. Do it. We need to do it. And so I feel like we just need to have some time to obey, to grapple with the Lord. Here's one of the things we're going to do after intercessory prayer. Now, this is going to get confusing. I want you all to follow along. We're going to have intercessory prayer. We're going to open the altar for you to come pray. Pray for whatever need. I'm going to be here to receive you. If you want to trust Christ today, I want to pray with you. I want to counsel you. I want you to get up, follow Jesus. Come and let that be known. Make it public. We're going to have the little ping pong balls up here that I showed you. When was that, John? Last week, a week or two ago. John's going to bring those up here. These are little white ping pong balls. These are your fishers of men ball. And we only have 30 of them, so I don't want y'all to make a mad rush up here. Only 30 of you can get one today. When I ask you if you had a person that you would commit to pray for, did someone come to your mind? Do you have someone? If you have someone, during this time of invitation after intercessory prayer, I want you to come up if you want to. Get a ping pong ball. There's going to be little Sharpies. And I want you to write either their initials or their name on that ball. And I want you to put it in your pocket and I want you to take it. I want you to put it kind of like we did with the big glasses. I want you to put it somewhere and let that be a reminder to pray for that person for their salvation. For your one. Don't take five. Don't take two. Take one if you want to take one. Write their name. Pray that the Lord would save them. 
Just begin to pray for their salvation. That's all we're asking you to do with that. You understand that? Okay, that's what we're going to do after our intercessory prayer time. We're going to open the altars. We're going to ask you to pray. We're going to ask you to commit to pray. I'm going to be here to receive you if you want to trust Christ. You need to do that publicly. Trusting Jesus isn't a covert operation. You need to make it public. Jesus' followers were public followers. They rose and they fell with Jesus. They went along. We're going to receive you today if you'd like to trust Christ. Daryl, would you come now as we begin to move into our response time? We're going to begin with intercessory prayer. So Daryl's going to come and, and voice that prayer and lead us.